I'm really delighted to be here with you all. I've known Jeannie since she and I did the Community Dharma Leader Program together by Spirit Rock quite a few years ago now. And so it's really a pleasure to touch into your her home community and to connect with all of you. So thank you so much for showing up. So as Bob mentioned, I'm currently based in Aotearoa, New Zealand, and I live in the city of Tamaki Makaurau, which is also known as Auckland. And the land here has been cared for, has been stewarded by generations and generations of the local indigenous Maori people, specifically the Ngāti Whātua or Orake and the Te Kawarau Amaki tribes. And those tribes still have strong connections to the land and to the sea in this area. Now, I don't know where all of you are calling from, but you're all in your own particular locations that have their own particular histories. And those environments are also supporting you to be here now. So I'd like to just take a moment to acknowledge that, to honor that, but just a moment to connect with whatever environment you're located in now. Wherever you're joining this call from, just acknowledging the people or the peoples who've cared for that environment. We're connected to that environment in many different ways. Just as you yourself have those connections. Connections to the land where you're currently located. And also connected to the people, to a whole web of social connections. So just taking a moment to honor or acknowledge the social connections that you're part of. whether that's your family, your ancestors, your sangha. And also the lineage of teachers who have helped to transmit these teachings that have come to us tonight, originally from India, through many different countries throughout Asia, and all the way through to wherever you are now. All of us connected here, thanks to that living transmission of the Dharma. So just a moment to acknowledge, appreciate, whatever feels relevant for you. Okay, thank you. So I'd like to settle into uh, 25 minutes or so of meditation. 
I'm just beginning very simply by coming home to the body. Settling in to the experience of the body sitting. Getting that felt sense that there is the body. And the body is sitting. Bringing awareness to the contact of the feet with the floor. Feeling the ground beneath you. And below that, the support of the earth itself. And feeling the contact of the sitting bones with the cushion, the bench or the chair. And just inviting the weight of the body to settle a little more fully into that support. So you can gently let go of any sense of holding yourself up. any tightness or tension or stiffness. Just softening into the experience of the body sitting, supported by the earth beneath you. And then from that stable base, the torso can become just a little taller and straighter. Extending upwards into space. Becoming a little more upright. And then just checking that the weight of the head is balanced at the top of the spinal column. So that the muscles in the neck and the shoulders don't have to hold up the weight of the head. And they can soften and release. Relax. Inviting the shoulder blades to drape softly down the back. And the arms, the hands, relax. Letting the hands find a natural resting position. Together in your lap or resting on your legs.
So the whole body now is expressing this balance of alertness and ease. I'm still maintaining this same sense of ease, inviting the awareness now to connect with the experience of breathing. Not in any way narrowing or overly focusing the attention, but staying settled back and just receiving that alternating rhythm of breathing in and breathing out. So you're just letting the attention rest on the alternating rhythm of rising and falling. It comes with each in-breath and each out-breath. Just very simply knowing that you're breathing in and knowing that you're breathing out. You're not trying to change the breath in any way. You're simply receiving it exactly as it is. So whether it's long or short, rough or smooth, deep or shallow, tense or soft, just knowing the experience of breathing exactly as it is. Receiving each in-breath and each out-breath with this attitude of ease, acceptance, simple knowing right now. It's like this, breathing in is like this, breathing out is like this.
And even though we're establishing the breathing as a kind of a home base, of course, of course, at times, the attention will connect with other experiences. This is not a problem. It is the practice to know or notice this. You don't have to yank the attention back to the breath. You can simply acknowledge what took the attention away. And then very patiently and gently releasing whatever it was and reconnecting to the simple experience of breathing in and breathing out. As we develop more skill, this practice of kindly and gently coming back to the breathing, you can start to tune into a subtle quality of pleasantness that comes from simply being present with the rhythm of breathing in and breathing out. To notice the ease of the attention becoming a little more still and stable. It's quite subtle, but just seeing if you can find that refined pleasantness comes from simply being present with the rhythm of breathing in and breathing out. Just receiving each in-breath and each out-breath, one half breath at a time. Breathing in is like this. Breathing out is like this.
And again, each time the attention moves away from the breathing. We don't judge that or condemn that in any way. Take a moment just to pause and to acknowledge what has caught our attention. Whether it's perhaps sensations somewhere in the body, be somewhat unpleasant. Maybe some kind of sound. Very likely different kinds of thoughts and emotions and moods. We just make space for whatever that experience is, allowing it to be known. Whether it's restlessness or an ache in the back or feeling of tiredness, perhaps a feeling of lightness or ease. just acknowledge right now it's like this making space for whatever your experience is right now and then gently returning to the experience of breathing in and breathing out
As we come closer to the end of the meditation, just taking a moment to notice how you are now. Particularly to tune into any benefits that have come from this time of meditating together. Perhaps there's just a little more ease. A trace more steadiness, more calm. Maybe a little more brightness in the mind, more lightness in the heart. Just sensing into what's true for you. Any benefits that have come from this time of meditating together. With the wish that these benefits might be shared by all beings everywhere. May we be free. So thank you again for coming along this evening. It's uh, really good to be here with you all. And I just came back from the US actually yesterday. I was teaching there for three weeks. And every time I go there, I, I notice what seems like a global increase in levels of anxiety and stress and agitation in societies all over the world. And certainly there have been challenging situations here in New Zealand recently with flooding and cyclones. And I'm not sure about what's happening in your part of the world, but it feels to me pretty global that there are increasing levels of stress and distress and suffering, dukkha as the Buddha called it. So for tonight's talk, I thought to revisit a theme that I've explored a few times recently. And so the title of my talk is Finding Moments of Ease in the Midst of It All. Finding Moments of Ease in the Midst of It All. And there are a few assumptions in that title. One is that being in the midst of it all is not an experience of ease for most of us. In other words, ease is a quality that's often in short supply. So there's a lot going on. And my, I'm going to start with a basic assumption that most of us are not right now experiencing an abundance of ease. Maybe there are moments of it, but maybe it's not the default setting for many of you. I'm guessing that you're not constantly abiding in ease from the minute you wake up all through the day until you go to sleep at night. So I just want to check, is that uh, true? Is anybody? Yes. Okay, thank you. So I'm guessing um, that that is the case for most of us. 
And I mentioned in the in the title finding moments of ease, because unfortunately, I think so many of us tend to bring an unrealistic, even an idealistic attitude to our Dharma practice. And to have this tendency to believe that no matter what's going on in our lives, we should be able to just flow along with it all and rest in perfect equanimity. And then when we can't do that, if or when we get reactive or exhausted or depressed, we blame ourselves for not doing it right, not being good enough, feeling like our practice isn't working. And I'll say more about that kind of conditioning later in the talk. For now, I'd like to explore this problem of non-ease or unease or dis-ease using a template that most of you, I think, will be familiar with, the Buddha's teachings on the Four Noble Truths. So as you may know, he borrowed this template from the medical healers of his day. So back then, the people who were healers, they had this four-part approach to disease. The first step is to identify the problem to, and to identify what is this dis-ease, the suffering of dukkha. So in terms of this talk, it's often the feeling of being too busy being pressured, being burdened, just having so much going on, not enough time to do it and not enough support, and often a sense of anxiety and overwhelm. So again, just want to check, does anybody have no idea what I'm talking about here? A few smiles. So I guess you recognize what I call a syndrome of modern life. So the issue is this non-ease of stress, pressure, overwhelm. And the second stage is to work out what's the cause of this non-ease. And there are a couple of levels I'd like to explore here. One is our personal contribution to feeling overwhelmed. All of us have particular aspects of our personality and of our individual conditioning that contribute to this. So some of us have a tendency to try to just do way too much maybe driven by a fear of missing out, maybe wanting to feel needed or important. And so there's a tendency to cram our calendars full and just race from one thing to the other without a break. Some of us are naturally oriented towards helping other people. And we can have a tendency to get over-involved or to take on too much, and it ends up costing us, ends up being to our own detriment. Still other people are terrified of what they might actually discover if they stopped with that busyness for just a moment and they had to experience any of the emotions that perhaps they're trying to avoid through that constant overwork and busyness. Now, even if those particular patterns that I just mentioned don't sound familiar, there are many more habits and patterns and defenses that could be driving the non-ease. So it's just worth taking time to explore this. If you have a Dharma friend or a friend, just to see what might be, see if you can get clearer about any personal or family conditioning that might be informing that non-ease. Then the second level is that often underneath that individual patterning is our collective, our societal conditioning. Now, I don't know too much about Canada, but it is a capitalist society, and generally capitalist societies, they reward productivity above all else. 
and many of the values of capitalism tend to install this competitive individualism. And that tends to reinforce disconnection from each other and also disconnection from the natural world that we're part of. So we can tend to forget that we are biological organisms. We are mammals. We are flesh and blood beings. We have sensitive human bodies, hearts, minds. And we tend instead to relate to ourselves as if we were machines or robots and have this assumption we should just keep performing kind of like the Duracell bunny. I don't know if you had that ad in Canada, but it's next, 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 without any rest. So we lose that connection with our true nature. We punish ourselves with unrealistic expectations about what we should be able to do, should be able to get, should be able to achieve, no matter what else is going on in our lives. So it's not surprising that so many people struggle with anxiety, with burnout, with overwhelm. Okay, so now we have some sense of some of the causes of this unease or dis-ease. We can bring in the lens of the third noble truth. And that acknowledges that freedom from this suffering is possible. In this case, ease is possible. At least moments of ease are possible. Now, just to be clear, what I'm talking about here isn't the ease of just blobbing out on the couch or binge watching TV series or being on vacation in a resort somewhere. Those things, of course, might provide momentary escape, temporary relief. But when the vacation ends or the TV series is over, we're just back to where we started. So what we're aiming for instead is an inner ease. You could say a heart quality of spaciousness, of flow, of acceptance, of resilience. And it's this resilience that helps us to have some degree of steadiness, no matter what challenges life brings us. And these qualities of spaciousness, of flow, of acceptance, of resilience, they're all aspects of what the Buddha referred to as equanimity, balance, peace. And in many ways, all of his teachings are aimed in that direction. So given that ease is possible, how do we find it? How do we cultivate it? So now we come to the fourth noble truth, which is the Noble Eightfold Path. And this fourth truth invites us to set up the conditions that support more ease. Obviously, it's not enough just to wish that we weren't so busy or stressed or exhausted. We have to make the changes that will help us to release that same busyness, stress, exhaustion. So the first step in that process, you can probably guess, because it's the first step in pretty much everything in the Buddha's teachings, is mindfulness. Mindfulness helps us get clearer about what we're doing to ourselves. Mindfulness helps to see the overall patterns of how we're behaving, acting, reacting. And it helps us to see the buildup of tension, stress, distress throughout the day so that we can train in releasing that buildup before it gets too intense. So in my own life, I experienced this building up of stress as having a kind of forward moment, momentum to it. 
it feels like a pressure that's just pushing me to go faster and faster and do more and do more and do more. So I think of mindfulness as like putting speed bumps in the road. You know, those raised bumps that are supposed to slow traffic. With mindfulness, I can keep training to de-escalate the busyness so it doesn't become so cumulative. And one way we can do this is through our regular meditation practice. So trying to commit to sitting at least once a day, preferably twice, bookending our day with a regular meditation practice. Now, having said that, what is one of the first things that goes when we're feeling stressed and overly busy? For most people, it's their meditation practice. And it's so easy for this to fall away when other things feel so urgent or pressing or crucial. So right there, if that's true for you, I invite you to challenge that belief and even to experiment with a statement that I heard a few years ago now. If you're too busy to meditate, meditate more. I'm not sure why I heard that, but there's also apparently a Zen saying that says you should sit in meditation for at least 20 minutes a day. Unless you're too busy, then you should sit for an hour. So it's the same idea. When I first heard this idea, it was a time in my life when I had just taken on way too many commitments and I was desperate. So desperate that I was even willing to experiment with that statement that initially just sounded so ridiculous. So at that point, I was already sitting in the morning and in the evening. And so I decided to add another shorter sit in the middle of the day. And at the time I was teaching an in-person retreat and then also an online course. So I would give instructions in the hall in the morning and then I'd race back to the house and I'd sit down and do a video presentation of an online course. And then I'd go and do live interviews with the students on the retreat. And then I'd come back and do another set. It was just crazy. I was just boom, boom, boom all through the day. And then I thought, okay, I'm going to add in an extra meditation at lunchtime. And to my amazement, the first time I tried it, I still actually managed to do everything I needed to do. The second day, I had an even longer list of things that needed attention. And this voice said, no, come on, this is ridiculous. You don't have time to sit. But I managed to sh shut that voice up. I sat down, did my meditation. Same thing happened. I got everything done that needed doing. And this went on for a whole week. And every time there was that same inner battle, part of me telling me myself, no, you're too busy, it's impossible. But every time I did the extra meditation, somehow, miraculously, it seemed to make more space in the day. And I found I was actually able to do what I needed to do. Now, that extra meditation doesn't have to be 30 or 45 minutes. It could be 15 minutes, 10 minutes. Whatever it is, though, it acts as that metaphorical speed bump. It just slows down the busyness, de-escalates the anxiety. There's one other aspect of doing that, though, that I think makes sitting down to meditate challenging, particularly when we're super busy and stressed. Our meditation doesn't give us the break that we often are hoping for. And again, I think many of us just have unrealistic expectations. We think we should be able to live our lives at 120 kilometers an hour, then boom, sit down to meditate, 
and the mind will just magically stop thinking, stop worrying, stop planning, and we'll just sit in deep samadhi, ease and peace for the entire time. And then when that doesn't happen, when we're actually sitting tormented by all the agitation of the to-do list and the things we think we have to do, and we can think that it's a waste of time, or that meditation doesn't work because it's not giving us the peace that we think it's supposed to. Now, while it's true that it's not easy to sit while the mind is racing, my suggestion is instead of assessing the value of the meditation in terms of samadhi, of ease and peace, it's much more useful to recognize what are the other skillful states that get developed when we sit down to practice. So even if we're sitting with a busy, agitated mind, we're still developing patience. We're developing persistence, perseverance, steadiness, courage. We could say it's an act of kindness, compassion, self-compassion to try to give ourselves that space. So at the end of the meditation, you might just jot down some of those qualities like we did earlier that have been developed in the course of the meditation. And this can help set up a positive feedback loop, give you some encouragement that this is making a difference, even if it's not deep stillness of samadhi. And this orientation to what's going well, what we can appreciate about our practice is super important because in the midst of a hectic, busy life, and because of our perfectionist tendencies, it's very easy for meditation to become a duty, a chore, just one more thing that we cram onto our to-do list and then feel guilty if it doesn't happen. So I like to encourage people to focus on what they enjoy about this practice, to find even tiny moments that are pleasant, so similar to the guidance I gave in the guided meditation just before, thanks to Bhikkhu Analio, his invitation to notice what is pleasant about simply being present. So even right now, you might notice, is there, if you notice the support of the cushion underneath your sitting bones, is there a subtle pleasantness to that feeling of support? As you breathe out, maybe take a longer out breath and just notice that subtle feeling of relief, of release, of tension. So just training ourselves to notice these more refined qualities of pleasantness as we meditate can act as a positive feedback loop. So maintaining a regular meditation practice is a very good foundation for being able to find moments of ease in the rest of your day too. And there's one powerful place to bring more awareness to, and that's the transitions between tasks or events that all of us are going through multiple times a day. So again, our mainstream conditioning doesn't generally recognize transitions of any kind. We're almost programmed to just keep doing, 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 next, next, next. As soon as we finish one thing, we don't even register that we finished it, we're just boom, next thing. But again, that goes against our organic nature. 
just like everything else in nature, there are rhythms and cycles of action and rest. And if we keep overriding those cycles, we just accumulate more and more stress until eventually we burn out or break down. So in the context of ordinary everyday life, I've been trying to bring more awareness to consciously finishing one task or one action. And then when I have finished it, just taking a moment to pause, to acknowledge what's just finished, what's just ended before I then move to what's next. So for example, when I finish a meeting on Zoom, in the old days, I would just click on the leave meeting button and then immediately open my email or pick up the phone or jump up to make a cup of tea. But these days I try to click leave meeting and then I might just close my laptop for a moment or close my eyes and take one or two breaths and consciously register that the meeting has ended. I let the words subside, I let the presence of the people fade away, and then I turn my attention to what's next. In some ways, this is uh, similar to a practice that I learned about in the Zen chaplaincy training that I did a few years ago. So the trainers were talking about their experience being hospital chaplains. And it, in that situation, the chaplains just go from room to room to room in those big hospitals, talking to a whole range of different people every day. And one of them said that with each new patient, when he stood outside the door, there was his hospital protocol to sanitize your hands before you go into the room. So he would consciously, as he was sanitizing his hands, also be clearing his heart and his mind. So that when he crossed the threshold into the next patient's room, he was to some degree empty of what had happened before. And then he could meet the next person more fully because he was refreshed. So I felt pretty inspired by that practice. And I try to bring a small flavor of that when I'm meeting with students online or when I'm finishing a phone call or finishing my work day and starting to make dinner, just taking a few moments to recognize what's been finished and only then move to what's coming next. And again, just to acknowledge this is so counter to our multitasking culture. It's yet another way that modern life is not so healthy for our hearts and minds. I read recently that in terms of neuroscience research, they found that every time our attention switches to something new, the brain or the body actually releases a small dose of cortisol to help us focus. Now, cortisol is a stress hormone. So when we're constantly jumping from website to website or task to task, we're actually microdosing ourselves with stress hormones. So it's no wonder that we feel frazzled by the end of the day. So again, just taking one or two breaths between each new thing that we do, it can help to offset the buildup of those stress hormones. And we can think of those breaths as sort of micro pauses, but also very helpful to look for bigger pauses, bigger spaces in our day, where we can take a little bit longer time just to rest, to refresh ourselves, to renew ourselves by taking time out to do nothing. 
This is actually pretty radical because again, it goes against the grain of some of our deepest societal conditioning. Many of us have learned that we need to be constantly productive, constantly productive to justify our very existence. And if we aren't producing, aren't doing, aren't achieving, we may as well be dead. So it's actually a kind of rebellion to resist this tyranny of constant productivity, even if it's just for a few moments, just to allow ourselves to simply be. And sometimes I wonder what would happen if we took five minutes every day to practice doing nothing at all. And maybe some of you might right now be noticing some kind of resistance even to the idea of doing nothing. I know for me, there are those voices that say, oh, what a waste of time. What good will that do? Oh, that's pretty self-indulgent. What are they trying to do? Turn me into a couch potato? Or what if I did rest and I liked it too much? No, I don't deserve to rest. People depend on me. I can't give up. They couldn't cope. I just have to keep going and going and going. So this practice of doing nothing can help reveal some of our deeper societal conditioning. And that recognition is really an important first step because we don't see the conditioning, we don't have any opportunity to help it to release. So you might play perhaps after this call or later on, set a timer for five minutes and see, do something that's soothing or nourishing, or even better do nothing at all for five whole minutes. So perhaps you can think of something that uh, is in this terrain of soothing. So when I've asked people in previous calls, some people have said, I would go outside and look at the night sky and just look at the stars. Some people would stroke their pet and find five minutes just to really sense into their cat and it's purring. Other people would just lie down under a soft blanket and rest. Other people thought they would give their partner a really long hug. For some people, it would be consciously drinking a cup of hot tea and watching the steam swirl. So there are many different ways that we can build in possibly these five minutes breaks that can help again to decrease the buildup of stress and busyness throughout the day. And I thought to close here, so we have just a few minutes, because I'd love to hear from any of you if you have particular strategies that help you to find more ease in the midst of it all. So I'll close here and just thank you so much for your attention. And then we can take the last five minutes or so just to hear any questions or reflections about any of this. Over to you. What would you do if you had five minutes to do nothing and just refresh yourself? Mm. Okay, well, we're at time already. It's gone super fast and uh, really was a pleasure to meet all of you and have a sense of your dedicated practice. 
Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.